0: have your Bibles tonight, open them with me to Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah the 53rd chapter, praise God. Going to continue tonight um, to talk about the subject of fellowship, and obviously when you know just the average Christian in the United States hears about fellowship, they're thinking about a potluck dinner in a room adjacent to the sanctuary, And, and we have those in the fellowship hall, right? And so... The words fellowship are, are associated with, connected to Christianity in, in a lot of different ways, but I think sometimes the, the real truth behind what fellowship actually is is, is hidden from a lot of folks. You know, that's kind of how the enemy works. He, he don't mind you knowing a little bit about something just as long as you don't know the whole truth about it. And so um, the Holy Spirit's leading us into and helping us understand the whole truth. So, obviously, fellowship with one another is extremely important in the body of Christ, but nothing is more important than your fellowship with God. Amen. And the more we fellowship with Him, the more we are effective in our fellowship with one another. Um, As we become comfortable in His presence, then we can be comfortable in anybody's presence um, and get along with anybody. Amen. And... um, so anyway, good thing. So tonight we're going to kind of back up a little bit and make another run at this. But Isaiah chapter 53, for those of you who are familiar with this passage, you know that it is perhaps one of the most thorough and of the most beautiful prophecies concerning Jesus, the Messiah who was to come. And it begins this way, and who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Now, you know, Peter's going to repeat this later. After Jesus' crucifixion, after he was, took the stripes on his back for our healing, and he's going to say by his stripes we were healed. We were healed. Anyone healed in the Old Testament was healed by the stripes of Jesus. Do you realize that? They were just healed on credit. It's like anyone who was forgiven. Remember, Jesus forgave people's sins before he went to the cross, he was eating the bag of chips and then, while he shopped, and then he paid for them when he checked out of the cash register. In other words, he was, he was paying people in advance. He was giving them forgiveness on credit. This is how Abraham was, was made righteous before God. He was given that, that status. He became right before God in the eyes of God on credit, obligating Jesus to one day come and pay for his sins. Verse 6 is the one I want us to begin with tonight. Let me get there myself, and I'll put it up on the screen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, I know Easter's still a couple of weeks away, but we talk about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection all the time around here because... You know, what he did on the cross, he did for you and me. As a matter of fact, the Bible even teaches that he did it as you, he did it as me. That we were crucified with him, we were buried with him, we were raised with him, we ascended with him, amen. And so we are in him, praise God. So the Bible says that he who knew no sin, in 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become his righteousness. So when he hung on the cross, Father God allowed all of your sin, not not just the part that you committed before you were saved, but all of your sin, He laid that on Jesus and Jesus paid the price. That's why He was the once for all sacrifice for sin. Every sin that will ever be committed on planet earth or ever has been committed on planet earth, Jesus has paid the penalty for it. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Now turn with me over a few chapters to Isaiah 59. Isaiah chapter 59, and um, let's begin. We'll look at verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that he will not hear. One more time, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. First of all, let's all say, thank God that this is an Old Testament verse. And obviously, the resolution to this was the cross. The resolution to this dilemma was the blood of Jesus. Because before Jesus took away our sins, we were in this same predicament. By the way, an iniquity, there's, there's different, I guess, kinds of sin, and an iniquity, uh, by definition, is a willful act of disobedience. In other words, where you know it's wrong, and you do it anyway. A trespass is still a sin, But it's kind of like you're out hunting and you stray over into somebody else's property and there wasn't a, a, you know, you didn't know, you you did it by mistake. So that's a trespass. Still an error, but it's not the same as knowing this is the boundary and just, you know, thumbing your nose in God's face and walking on across it. So he's laid on him the iniquity of us all because why? It was our iniquities that separated us from him. My iniquity, your iniquity, separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. It did, notice that it doesn't say he hid his face because of your sin. It says your sin has caused his face to be hidden from you. Your sin separated you from him. But of course we know if you're a student of the Bible or if, you've, if you know much about these things, and if not, praise God, um, you're here to learn tonight that this was unacceptable to God. You being separated from him was unacceptable to him. And even though he had not wronged us, we had wronged him, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19, right? He came to find you, and He came to make a way for you to come back to Him. Now, tonight, let's... I, I'm, I'm trying to... I know we're going to look at a lot of verses, but I'm trying to get to a certain spot. So let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For those of you who were worshiping other places this morning, this is where we began this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But I wanted to give you... Um, just a few verses from the Old Testament so that you could see in no uncertain terms um, the predicament that we were in and the solution that God has to offer. So again, if I could, and we could have looked at many, many verses and we could have spent the whole night just looking at verses that communicate to us that our sins separated us from God and God chose to put those sins on Jesus. Jesus took them to the cross so that they could never be held against you or come in between you and him, or separate you from him ever again. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 4, it says this I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. We'll come back to that statement. So as so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm. There's that word again, confirm. So in verse 6 he says the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Now it says in verse 8 that the Lord Jesus Christ will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Somebody say amen to that. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the fellowship of His Son is speaking of the same fellowship that Jesus has with God the Father. And you have been brought into that inner circle. You have been brought into and made one. Jesus talks about Himself and the Father as one, and then includes you and me in that same sentence in John 17 and calls all of us us amen so we see that jesus came to make us one with the father and the the fellowship that we now have the opportunity to choose and pursue with god the father is the same level if you will the same quality if you will of fellowship that jesus himself enjoys with god the father now we're going to hear some amazing things tonight all right And I'm going to show them to you straight out of the Word of God. Not just straight out of the Word of God, but straight out of the Word of God, right? And um, listen, just kind of take a deep breath. And um, I don't want these things to just kind of land, you know, in one ear and come out the other or sail over your head. But, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to stretch us tonight, and we're going to lay hold of some things that I believe are really going to help us moving forward, right? Now, before we move on to the next passage, I I want to point out a few words, um, From this and of course you know being enriched the grace of God that was given to us in Christ Jesus he's talking about our salvation right and that we've been enriched by him in all divine utterance in other words the things that he spoke to us and that word knowledge there means a personal intimate knowledge of him so when it says even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you let me just try to explain to you what he's saying there He's basically saying, you know, Jesus showed up here and said a whole bunch of things, right? He taught us a whole bunch of things, and He declared and proclaimed a whole bunch of things. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Like, for instance, one of the testimonies that Jesus uh, declared to us is that God would give us the kingdom, and the kingdom would be in us. One of the things that Jesus declared is that He would give us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would be in us, right? One of the things that has been declared concerning Jesus is that He would take away our sins and iniquity and remember them no more, and we can just go on and on and on. So all of these declarations, I mean, for that matter, the testimony of Jesus began with what we read in Isaiah. Are you following what I'm saying? It's not just what Jesus said while he was here, but everything that has to do with Jesus and what Jesus came to do. So all of that existed in, in prophetic form, in other words, spoken before it happened. Then Jesus comes and fills, fulfills the prophecies. But still at this point, it's just things that have been declared. Now he's saying, it has been confirmed in you. Exactly what He said has been done in your life. Exactly what He said would happen is happened to you. Exactly what He said was going to come to pass has come to pass in you. You've been forgiven. Your sins have been removed. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. You've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. You abide in Him. He abides in the Father because you abide in Him and He abides in the Father. You abide in the Father. You and Jesus have become one. Jesus and the Father are one because you and Jesus are one. Jesus and the Father is one. All of these things were initially things that Jesus declared or proclaimed. Now He's saying, it's all been confirmed in you. It's all come to pass in you and you are living it now. Praise God. Well, that gets me stirred up a little bit. I guess you can tell. All right. So then he says, so that you come short in no gift. In other words, that you have everything that you need. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul said it to the Philippians this way. He... he <clears throat> he who, speaking of Jesus, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it under the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So He is eternally committed to you. He is enthusiastically concerned for you and He is emotionally connected to you. Amen. I can't say that enough. I, just, I, I sometimes just, you know, lay there at night meditating and I'll meditate on those three things. Again, eternally committed, Enthusiastically concerned, emotionally connected. Praise God. So we see then that his commitment to you is all the way to the end. He will also confirm you to the end. Let me, without taking 15 minutes to give you a a lesson in, in the Greek language, what this literally means is that he will make valid and formally declare your salvation and your preservation in a state of grace until the very end. See, He didn't just bring you out of darkness into the light. He didn't just bring you out of of sin into grace. He has permanently connected you and planted you in the grace that has produced in you all the things that He paid for on the cross. Now, this word blameless... (laughs) Oh, thank you, Jesus... Blameless. I'm going to show it to you in another verse, and when we get to that verse, I'll break it down into even more specifics. Am I going too fast for you? This word blameless means uncondemnable. Uncondemnable. Meaning, well, think about it. If someone is without blame, blameless, that means that you can't accuse them of anything. That you can't be accused. And since you can't be accused, you can't be condemned. That's why the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you read it tomorrow, it will not say there was therefore no condemnation yesterday. It will say again, there is therefore now no condemnation. If you read it six weeks from today, it will still say now. Because His grace has brought you into an uncondemnable state. You're in a state where you cannot be condemned. That's why there's now no condemnation, and there will not be any condemnation a thousand years from now. Amen. So Jesus is the one who saved us, and Jesus is the one who will confirm us to the end so that we will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. If you're taking notes, write write this down. I'm not going to go to these verses, but write Romans 5, 1 and 2 down. And Romans 5, 1 and 2 is, is where the Word of God explains to us that we have peace with God and that we now stand permanently in the grace that has allowed this peace between you and God the Father to be a reality. All right, let's go to Colossians 1. This is where I want us to spend the rest of our time tonight if we can together, praise God. Colossians chapter 1, and let's go to verses 21 and 22. Amen. I'm going to just put them up on the screen for those of you who don't have a Bible or don't have one close by to look on. It says this, and you, so who's he talking to tonight? He's talking to me. He's talking to you, right? Sometimes we read these things and 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 you know we, we don't personalize them the way we need to. Um, sometimes I think people take so many things personal about church other than the Word of God, right? You know, we take it personally if somebody don't speak to us. We take it personally if you know somebody gets our parking place. We take it personally if somebody has on the same pair of shoes that we got, whatever. And they, and never take the Word of God personally, right? So we got to personalize this. So when it says you, he's talking about you. And you who once were alienated, alienated means separated, right? What separated us? Our iniquities. You who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He, Jesus, has reconciled. He has reconciled, okay? Now, let's talk for just a moment about that word reconciled. It is a salvation word. I'm here to offer to you tonight that words like propitiation, which means Jesus taking our punishment for us, redemption, which means he paid our debt for us, justification means that he has justified us. One way to remember what justified means is just as if I'd never sinned. I love what Brother Copeland says, grace is God's desire to treat you like sin never happened. Grace is God's desire to treat you like sin never happened. All right? So justified means that just as if I'd never sinned. So he was our propitiation, he was our redemption, he was our justification, and now we have this fourth word, reconciliation. Reconciliation means to be restored into a right relationship with. We've been reconciled, we've been reconciled, all right? So he's saying here that we were once separated, we were once alienated, we were once even enemies in our minds by wicked works. But now, come on now, but now, right now, right now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death. So Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. He has reunited us in right standing with the Father. He has restored us back into right relationship with the Father. Remember, right standing is not a means to an end, it is, it is, it is, what am I, it's not an end in of itself, but it's a means to a greater end. And in other words, we have right standing with Him because Father wants right relationship with you, and you can't have right relationship with Him unless you have the right standing. So the justification was necessary for the reconciliation. So listen to this. Yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. <laughs> All right, so who's holy, who's blameless, and who's above reproach in his sight? Let's talk about you. We're talking about what the grace of God has done for us. Now notice it says to present you. He's saying to present you to the Father. To present you to the Father. Think about that now. Jesus is presenting you to the Father. How do we gain access to the Father? We gain access to the Father through Jesus. We can speak directly to the Father in Jesus' name. Jesus told his disciples, he said, look, up to this point, you've asked me everything. He said, there's coming a day when you're not going to have to ask me, you can ask the Father in my name, and whatever you ask him in my name, he'll do for you. Amen. See, the testimony has been confirmed, right? He said that by way of testimony, but now it's been confirmed. We pray to the Father all the time in the name of Jesus, and we don't really think it's, pardon the expression, that big of a deal, but man, it used to be an impossibility, but we have access now. Why? Because he has presented us. He has presented us. All right, so I toyed around with some kind of way to illustrate this, and, and none of it really came out right, so I'm just going to shoot from the hip for a minute, all right? Um, you got a friend, you know, who has a really good job, and you're looking for a really good job. And so he's going to introduce you to the boss who can hire you, right? And so he says, he says something like this. He says, all right, uh, I'm going to come to your house pick you up Monday, and I'm going to take you to my boss and, uh, and, I, and I believe he'll give you a job. So he pulls up at your house on, on Monday and you come staggering out in your pajamas with your hair all messed up, right? Well, see, you're not ready to be presented by him to his boss. See, you're in no shape right now to be presented. So you go, oh, hold on just a second, dude. Let's, <laughs> wait just a second, right? Let's get back in here, right? Now all of a sudden this guy, he, he, you get, he gets you in the shower. He starts going through your wardrobe. He finds your nice gray suit. He finds your white shirt. He finds a tie. He, you know, some socks, not white ones, right? Some black ones that match the shoes. And, and so notice, what is He doing? He's getting you presentable. He's fixing to present you to His boss. And He knows that if you're, in, if you're unpresentable, right, this isn't going to work out for you too well. So He's helping you get presentable. This is what Jesus did. Jesus made us presentable. He made us holy. He made us blameless. He made us above reproach because apart from holiness, blamelessness, and above reproach, we are unpresentable to the Father. We can't be presented to stand before Him in our iniquity. We can't be presented before Him in our sin and in our darkness, in our unrighteous state, in our unholy state. And so Jesus made us holy. He made you blameless. He made you above reproach so that He could then take you and present you before His Father. Think about that for a minute now. Think about that for a minute now. But why did He present you before the Father? Not because you're trying to get a job from Him. He presented you before the Father in that state so that you could then have the same fellowship with Him that Jesus has with the Father. Are you seeing this? Because we've been called into the same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus. Jesus is not jealous about that. Jesus says, okay, Father wants to have fellowship with you just like He wants to have fellowship with me. So let me get you ready so that you can enjoy the same fellowship with Him that I enjoy. And we'll all fellowship together. So he made you righteous. See, that's why he he didn't just he didn't just call you righteous. He didn't just say, "Let's just let what you're doing count for righteousness." No, he made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He gave you the same right standing with God the Father that He has, so that you could have the same fellowship with the Father that He has. Let me ask you something tonight: Is Jesus holy? Is Jesus blameless? Is Jesus above reproach? Can anybody accuse Jesus of doing anything? Can <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Can anybody say, oh, Jesus, you did? Well, I mean, people do sometimes. They get mad at him, holler out all kind of crazy stuff. But thank God he's merciful to us. He knows better and figures we'll figure it out better later on. No, see, he's without blame. He's without spot. He, he, he is blameless, <laughs> holy, and above reproach. All right. Let me, I got a ways to go here. Let me see if I can get to this. So first of all, what does holy literally mean? In this this, uh, passage, it means clean, pure, and separated from that which contaminates and defiles. He took us out of sin and death. He took us out of darkness and relocated us in light and life. We are now, according to the word of God's saints, permanently located in the grace that made us Holy. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am by the grace of God. In Hebrews 13, that writer said, it's a good thing for the heart to be established by grace. Now this word blameless, we mentioned it because we looked at it in 1 Corinthians, yet we find it again here in Colossians 1. This word blameless means without internal spot or blemish. The complete and absolute removal of anything that would make you unworthy. You are therefore, and the word means literally, uncondemnable. Now, let me see if I can show you this in one other spot. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, not will, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Are you seeing this, right? In other words, this wasn't like plan B. This was plan A, and there is no plan B. The plan had always been for you and me to be before God holy holy and without blame, before Him in love. Before Him in love. Listen, obedience is important, but it doesn't say before Him in obedience. It says before Him in love. Your purpose is important, but it doesn't say before Him in purpose. It says before Him in love. He's talking about fellowship here. He's talking about you having this intimate relationship called fellowship with your Creator. So again, I'm emphasizing before him in love he goes on to say in verse number 5 having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us he made us accepted in the beloved I feel like I'm losing some of you You still with me made you accepted you are accepted tonight That's one of the five essentials in life, acceptance. It's one of the hungers of the heart that people try to satisfy with things of the flesh. We were all born hungry and we all crave acceptance and Jesus Christ has made you accepted in the highest inner circle that exists in the universe. You've been accepted in the Beloved. That word predestined, people get really crazy about that and come up with all kinds of doctrines. It just means that God predetermined beforehand. God decided before you were ever born that he wanted to adopt you as a son by Jesus Christ to himself, and notice it is according to the good pleasure of his will. You didn't choose him, he chose you. He chose you. Don't don't be so quick to talk about when you turned your life around and when you this and when you that. Man, you... God gave you a gift of repentance, is the only way you were able to repent. Amen. And I say this from time to time, I'm going to say it again. It's not like I said to God the Father, You either make me holy, blameless, and above reproach, or you just get out of my life. I never said that. I didn't place these demands on Him. I didn't say to God the Father, either make me holy and give me the same standing with you as Jesus and the same inheritance as Jesus, or the deal's off. I I didn't do any of this. As a matter of fact, if Jesus had not made this deal with me, I would have just tried to negotiate my rear end out of hell and been happy to not go there. But Jesus said, just let me represent you as your attorney. I'll get you the deal you need here. And so he negotiated this because what? He knew his father's will. And his father's will from before Adam breathed oxygen in this atmosphere was for all of us to be before him holy and without blame in love. And Jesus took the bull by the horn, so to speak. Jesus did the heavy lifting to make it all a reality. The last one, above reproach. This means without accusation unaccused, and unaccusable. Reproach is an expression of disapproval, disgrace, or shame. So this means because we are without accusation, unaccused, and unaccusable, we are above disapproval, we are above disgrace, and we are above shame. Don't apply to you anymore. I said it don't apply to you anymore. God disapproving of you does not apply to you anymore. God being ashamed of you doesn't apply to you anymore. This is why Jesus said, quoted uh, by the writer of Hebrews, he's not ashamed to call you his brethren. Disgrace doesn't apply to you anymore. Last passage, Romans 8, 31. Let's turn there together, praise God. You get anything out of this? Romans 8. So above reproach, without accusation, unaccused and unaccusable, reproach is an expression of disapproval, disgrace or shame, and we're above that now. We're above that now. Romans 8 is such a power-packed portion of God's Holy Word. Let's jump in Man, there's so much here. We're going to come back to some of this, but verse 20, 29, I've got I'm starting with 31, I'll put on the screen. but let's begin at 29. It says, "For whom he foreknew foreknew." That means people that God knew beforehand before you were born. So let me ask you something, real simple question, okay? Is there anybody on planet earth that God doesn't know about? You see know what I'm saying? In other words, we read this and we come up with all these crazy doctrines again that somehow there's only a few people that are going to be saved and all that stuff. That's ridiculous. The, impl- the implication here is that everyone that's ever lived, God knew them before they were born. So whom he foreknew, he also predetermined. That word predestined means he predetermined. To be conformed to the image of his son that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, he used to be called the only begotten. Now he's the firstborn. And we are the brethren. Even you sister and brethren, amen, because in Christ there's neither male nor female. Meaning you have the same rights and privileges as, as the men, even if you're a woman. Moreover, more besides, whom he predetermined to be conformed to the image of his Son these he also called." Now, we established this morning, and I want to connect these two things together, we established this morning that there are many different callings on people's lives, but the highest calling is the call to fellowship. That's the calling that Paul pursued above all else. So he called, called you to what? He called you to fellowship with himself. And whom he called to fellowship with himself, these he also justified. See how it makes so much more sense now? And whom he justified, these he also glorified. He raised you to a condition of dignity, honor, and prosperity. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 33, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us and if I could combine these two together who also makes intercession for us confirming us to the end now this is what he's saying if you understand a little bit about the legal system you know that someone has to first bring charges against a person and that's usually done of course by the prosecutor district attorney what have you once the charges are brought then there's a trial and after all the evidence is heard, there is a decision on whether or not someone is guilty or exonerated. And if they're guilty, then of course they would be condemned. So, what is a, let's just say it this way it's a multi step process. Amen? Oh, me? I'm sure nobody in here knows anything about that, but you probably have family members or somebody who might know a thing or two. All right. What he's saying here is that there's only two who are qualified to even bring a charge. Right? And the only two qualified to bring a charge are the ones behind you being justified. He asked the question Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Now, the devil's an accuser, but accusations aren't the same as formal charges. Come on now, we all know that, right? Accusations aren't the same as formal charges. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is God going to bring a charge against someone that he has spent priceless treasure to make right before him? In other words, he's on your side. Who is he who condemns? In other words, the only one who can condemn you is Jesus. Let me tell you why he can condemn you. It's because he came to this earth as a man and lived without sin. You do realize that, right? He came to this earth born as a man, lived as a man, died as a man, and never sinned. So the excuse that, well, you know, I mean, it's just what it means to be human. I mean, we all, all, all just put our pants on, you know, one leg at a time, and we, you know, we all, you know, do this and that. So but we don't have that excuse anymore. In other words, if, if Jesus living a sinless life as a man Not that we weren't already separated from God and condemned already, but if he wanted to, that gives him the right to condemn us. Of course, the good news is he doesn't want to. He ain't trying to condemn you. He's trying to set you free. It would be like your defense attorney turning against you. You see what I'm saying? In other words, he's he's the one interceding on your behalf. You ever heard this expression, let your attorney do the talking? Let Jesus do the talking. You understand what I'm saying here? Again, I'm sure that no one here, but, you know, like, have you ever seen it on TV when the judge asks a defendant a question? And the defendant, if he's well-trained, before he even says anything, he'll look to his attorney. And the attorney will tell him what to say, and he'll say, sometimes the attorney says it out loud, right? But the judge has got to hear it from the defendant, But nonetheless, I plead not guilty, sir. He's saying exactly what his attorney told him to say. Why is that? Because his attorney's there to navigate him through all that. He's not the guy who brings the charges. He's the guy who tries to get you exonerated from the charges. So now look now, because there's no one to bring a charge, you're uncondemnable. Why? See, people say, oh, you shouldn't tell folks that. They'll go use that as an excuse to sin. No, they won't. Not if you really understand what's going on here. Why would God do such a thing? Why would He run His neck out like that for you? Literally, why would He take a bullet for you like that? Because He wants you. Because He wants you. I bet there's some folks in here that have done some pretty crazy things over the years because they love somebody. I don't mean to throw you into some fit of regret, but amen, we've probably done some pretty crazy things (laughs) for love. And as even some of those things may have been very sinful things, nonetheless, if you can understand that just this much, then you can understand the extravagance